This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, featuring distinctly qualified global changemakers dedicated to creating a healthier planet. One where our unique gifts are lived, expressed, and celebrated. I'm your host, Julian Guderlei. This is Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. Welcome back. I'm your host, Julian Guderlei. I'm here today with Ashley Rani Singler. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, Ashley is the founder of Raising Humanity. Um, the Playground of Life is one of the programs, I believe, within Raising Humanity. And I'm just really, really excited for our conversation today around, uh, you know, nurturing natural genius, education, redefining um, the term and the understanding of motherhood and, and connecting us to creating from integrity in a way that, that allows um, children and adults to be lifelong learners. So Ashley, let's maybe start and give people a little overview of raising humanity. Like you, you're in the Pacific Northwest, right? As we speak today, you're in Vancouver. Um, just maybe in a few words, like what was the story of you um, starting this project? Hmm. Well, I think a lot of us can relate to when we come into our deepest passion, it's often you know, um, a pathway that we didn't anticipate. And in my case, um, it came about not only through the journey of parenting itself, but also recognizing that the vision that I held for motherhood, for our family life, didn't actually include me to a big extent. And as I started to contemplate my relationship with the children and the way I was showing up to them, the way that they were responding to me, and the way that we were supported as a nuclear family unit, I recognized that there were a lot of gaps that I had experienced through my own childhood growing up in a joint family in a village um, that I didn't necessarily have built into that life. Ways that I felt um, I would be better supported, yet I hadn't had the foresight to construct, you know, going into um, into pregnancy, especially I think in the Western world, it's quite a quick pivot from the lives that most of us live. You know, we're working, 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 just going on the treadmill and then boom, suddenly we're gestating. And then within a couple of weeks, you know, baby comes out and we're having to make quite a quick transition to something that's incredibly unfamiliar. And I felt in many ways, I don't know if you can be prepared for motherhood but in many ways, I feel that I hadn't slowed down enough to understand what I needed during that time. And it's hard to know because, I mean, you may have heard, and especially through a lot of your work and experience and exposure, parenting does one of those things <laughs> um, that, you know, a lot of our inner inquiry can do, but it does it in a very accelerated way in that it turns us upside down, inside out, and really... <laughs> has us as raw and open as we can possibly be. And that's where I found myself with the children and struggled through that for years, you know, trying to be quiet, trying to be grateful as um, we're told we should be, you know, especially within the cultural orientation that I come from. Well, you've been able to conceive, you have these beautiful children, everything should be great. You know, you have the financial security, you have a partner, you have family, um, nearby, everything should be great, right? And I found a deep, deep dissatisfaction 
during the early years of motherhood. And I think a big part of it for me was a split between the world outside of me and the world that was starting to shift within me. And what was rising within me was this need for more time and space for me. Yet without the support of a village, of course, everything is on the mother, everything, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the emotional responsibility, especially as these children are being born in new ways into our world, there's more and more demands on the psychological and emotional wellness of a mother to be able to hold the space for their growth and transformation. And after years of struggling through that and watching, you know, the soul of my children also be crushed alongside me, I made a decision to go into deeper inquiry of myself. And what that meant was I was also splitting up my family system to some extent, something that's not usually done again in our culture. But what it led me to was um, a lot of deep healing, a lot of the wounds that I carried into this lifetime and had been reinforced, you know, through my early childhood. And eventually I found myself on a mountain one fine day and went through a near-death experience. And I think that was really the point at which I recognized that so much is beyond my control, but I can really choose to, to be available to life fully. And that's what I came down with the choice of is that I'm going to be available to what's here. I'm going to learn through it. I'm going to be with it. And I'm going to allow myself to be changed by this world outside of me, like really. And um, the vision of raising humanity followed in the year after that. So effectively what it is, is it's an ecosystem where we connect um, both health professionals, healers, coaches, mentors from around the world to parents, children, and educators. So what it allows us to do is bridge the differences across work and home and school and home. All of these seemingly separate parts of our lives are at this time, as we know, coming closer and closer in contact with one another. So we're hoping to support that bridging of mm -hmm. a multitude of different worlds through the work we do, as well as infusing the motherly energy into a lot of these new structures and systems that we hope to be supported by. Yeah, let's let's dive deeper into that in a second. I think at first it's it's quite well. Well, thanks for taking us, you know, a little bit into your journey here. But I, I think it's it's quite natural that we'd have to break with traditions and and cultural um, habits if we really want to change the status quo for something that that brings the village back to the modern life, right? Like so, when you speak about bridging these different parts that are currently not connected, what I'm seeing is like the fabric of a village reappearing. Is, is that, am I seeing that right in, in a certain way? Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's the new village. It's the village that reflects more of the authentic parts of us that were exiled and weren't available, you know, for expression in our, our original family, our birth family units. So one of the questions that I actually have asked many times on this podcast um, is about the education system. And so I'm really curious to throw this one in right at the beginning here. And maybe it leads us into that, you know, um, other part about motherhood already. But, but, but maybe we, we, can, we can just see how you answer it first. So, um, you know, we're already on the same common denominator that the current educational paradigm is. Um, let's just call it insufficient for the sake of this conversation and that it's, it, it has many gaping holes that aren't really connecting people to true learning. 
Ashley, if you were to, you know, single-handedly or with a team of experts, which is literally what you're doing, redefine the, the education system, um, like beyond maybe even what you're doing right now with, with raising humanity, like what would you do? What is the dream? What is, what is it that you're dreaming into the field here that um, can change the way education happens? Mm, yeah. Thank you for that very big question. <laughs> I also recognize that it's quite contextual in that we all have different needs and we all start from different places. I mean, depending on, you know, our experience of being marginalized in society. Um, for me, for example, I'm first generation in Canada. So there's been a tremendous loss of culture and rooting and rituals um, within my own family system. So my needs going into education may be quite different than somebody who has had a multitude of generations in this country, for example, and could really identify with the culture here. So that I'd like to see first, because I find that the education system is quite, um, you know, it's sort of like the one stop shop, let's get this done and let's put you out to the, you know, the, the economic plane and just ensure that you're producing for, for the whole and for yourself, I guess specifically is where the orientation is currently in an environment like North America. What I find is that um, we do have to create that safety, that sense of belonging within ourselves and with each other before we consider any of the layers of learning beyond that. So I find that that being fundamental from my lens to the foundation of learning, of growth, of education, which isn't a word that we use often because it's associated with the colonial trajectory of how we teach children, you know, to prosper within society. Um, I do find that that needs devout attention at this time in our humanity. And whether we learn or not beyond that, what I do find is that when we come back into our bodies, when we come back into our natural rhythms, when we find this coherence with those around us, as you so beautifully point to through breath work and, you know, other modalities that you explore, I find that there's a natural opening into learning through life around us. Suddenly we're available to relationship and we're no longer feeling this, this sense of being threatened by that which is around us or that which is within us. So what I find is at the core of this, you know, if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, which I'm not, I'm certainly not a proponent of anymore, but if we look at that for reference as a reference point, what I do recognize is that safety now more than, yes, of course, we, we need, you know, a roof over our heads. We need clothes on our back. We need food on our tables. And that's something that, especially in the Northwestern Hemisphere, a good majority of us have access to. But part of that safety from my lens is the emotional safety. Do I have the opportunity to co-regulate with other people without relying solely on myself at all times? You know, we're quite in this individual trance in North America where so much has been put on the individual more than an individual can often bear, more than an individual often has time or access to. So the question for me is, can we create environments and structures where this foundational safety is built into every aspect of our relational field? 
And I mean, it's not a perfect system. Of course, we're here as humans to dance, play, explore, connect. And a lot of us have had the soul calling, especially at this point in our humanity, to come down here and transmute, you know, on behalf of ourselves and the collective. So that I would say is first and foremost, and what that requires from my lens is individuals who have really gone through that life process themselves. You know, I think we're at a point now where we do have access to a really good number of individuals who have reconnected to the child within them so that they can freely be around children outside of them. I find so many educators that I've met that my children have been educated through wonderful humans. I mean, there's incredible humans within the traditional education system, and a lot of them have never been exposed to trauma-informed pathways, you know? And that, for me, is a tremendous gap within the system. But beyond that gap, what I sense, and you speak to this beautifully, is that the personal well-being of every individual needs to be revered within that system. I mean, effectively, school for me is an extension of the home life, of the community that we are brought up in. And if school is not reflecting that nurturing, that caring, that motherly energy, you know, as we see in the Waldorfs to some extent, as we see in other more alternative education paths, then where are the children left to? I mean, do they really need this assertion of performance and getting ahead and competing so early on in life, if at all? Is it necessary to bring in these rigid curriculums? You know, these ways of sort of acting in silo where we're seeding this concept of separateness so early on, is that necessary? Is it actually feeding their sense of safety and belonging in that environment or alternatively if they bring their unique geniuses together and nurture that natural wisdom within them given the space to do so perhaps there's a deeper level of trust that they can also feed upwards into the system into the grown-ups who are supporting them saying, look guys, we're not gonna fight or push against a system any longer because we're safe here. You're recognizing our inherent value. We don't need to produce in society to be a valuable member of society. Simply being alive and being here offers us that ability to be of value. Now, how can I contribute? Wow. Um, you know, it was a big question, but you, you, you came back with a few beautifully big open-ended questions yourself there, which, you know, I think we can see that this is, I would even say it's not just contextual to North America. This has been part of the, you know, globalized world everywhere. It's, it's, it's seeped through and, and kind of broken through the mold of all the cultural backgrounds everywhere in the world to make people production factors, right? And, and um, yeah, this is a very deep inquiry to sit with. Like, what is the purpose of that other than mm -hmm. to function in this economic structure that we know now, which we know leads to destruction and to pollution. So it's, it's kind of like an, you know, like a, a dead end road, like a cul-de-sac. Um, 
And I'm curious where you, you know, frame within that the, the definition of broadening motherhood, because what I hear you speak of for me so far, it brings me back to also this connection to earth and earth consciousness and the indigenous way of being. Like, there is no need for being productive because when something needs to be done, you will do it. You know, when your local um, bioregion tells you that this this is what this is the season you're in. So now it's time to plant or now it's time to harvest or now it's time to um, lay back and just enjoy that's nature will inform you to do that and so nature is mother nature it, it holds us like that right we don't need to start every day in the same rhythm like a machine to say 7 a.m waking up 8 a.m ready for xyz like this is this is a template that we put on top uh, which is instilled uh, or installed through the education system but but the mother energy of the earth tells us quite a different rhythm and so I know, you know, you, you were going to uh, the definition of motherhood from a slightly different angle, but that's what I'm already hearing out of what you shared so far. Maybe you want to take us a level deeper here, Ashley, because I, I find this concept of safety is, yeah, it's vital to have real present connections with people. It's very obvious. It's, and people that have gone through Waldover, Montessori, or other alternative approaches that we've had some of them on this podcast, um, yeah, they, they often have a bit more of this emotional integrity with, with which they can dive deeper because that safety, that motherhood, that tribe, that village was there a little bit more contextually and comparatively speaking to, um, yeah, most people in the, in, in the Western paradigm, certainly myself. Yeah, I grew up in a public schooling system. Yeah, thank you. So to what we've spoken about before, we've touched on... Um, you know, mother, the concept of motherhood or mothering to be inclusive of Mother Earth. I mean, for me, they're synonymous. The way the mother moves through life, her greatest teacher is taking the cues from nature and saying, well, how can I reflect this within my system? And of course, we have these ideal human virtues, you know, the compassion, the patience, the forgiveness, the ability to collaborate and come together as one. There's so many beautiful virtues that the mother archetype holds, whether in the natural environment or whether within our human natural environment. And surely, as you point to, the sense of safety that we seek is also created by our natural environment. I mean, I know myself when I go and lean against a tree or I, you know, fall asleep on a fall, fallen log. It's the amount of safety that comes into my body as a result of that support is exponential to my day. I mean, sometimes the human support outside of me can't offer me what nature offers me being such a pure source of, you know, conscious representation on our planet. So when I speak to motherhood, I'd like to invite every one of us to consider that we have that motherly energy running through us. We are at all times, both masculine and feminine, and all of us have different balances within that, right? But what we know is that we've all been birthed through the mother. And if we're fortunate enough, we've carried her energies forward. We had a nurturing relationship with her. We had a sense of touch and holding, and I see you. And I accept you through your emotional waves and your life process. There's an intimacy that we've come into contact with, whether it was through breastfeeding, whether it was through, you know, spending a good amount of time just with her alone, perhaps, or within the context of a village 
that was, you know, steered predominantly by this female energy or motherly energy. Whatever that relationship has been to the mother or motherly energy early on is typically the, the thread that we will carry throughout our lives. Unless we've been so fortunate, again, to reconnect to the motherly energy somehow later down, you know, on our path. But what I invite all of us to do is also understand the value that the motherly energies have had in our lives and how they play out in our lives. So when I'm running on the treadmill through my day, and of course, I mean, not to diminish that at all, a lot of us are living on purpose. A lot of us are running long days for the purpose of something greater than ourselves. There's a lot of value to being active and being in this masculine energy as we move forward. There's so much to do here. There's so much to explore. In no way am I diminishing that aspect of each of us yet. Also remembering that when we use the motherly energies as the guiding principle through life, we recognize that all creation is fundamentally being drawn out of this foundation of care, of nurturing, of I see the other, I see my relationship with the things around me. I also act with generosity towards myself so that I can in turn act with generosity towards others around me. And I find when we hold these as our, um, as our moral compass, for example, forward, then we have a tendency to come into more honest, right relationship with those around us. So my question for everybody who's tuning in is what if we put those principles forward? And I can attest personally to how difficult that can be. I mean, after 20 years of working in corporate and being a solo entrepreneur, to for the first time having to hold a vision for a few years without having the external glorification of you're doing well and this is great and I have all, you know, I'm meeting the metrics and I'm checking the boxes. We've had to hold this vision with that energy long enough for it to be transmuted and for it to become known in the world. And only now, years later, are we starting to bring in more of the masculine anchors. Now that we've identified what this feels like, what this tastes like, what the values are that are running through us as a shared ecosystem. So I invite everybody to really participate in how that motherly energy shows up in their worlds and to participate in being a part of this village. I mean, whether you're nurturing yourself or another, or a child outside of you, or the planet, you've got gardens out back, or you're part of a shared community garden, whatever that looks like, you in some way are depositing seeds into this cauldron of alchemy of collective wellness. And I really celebrate and commend you for the things that you are taking leaps into trusting now, because this is the unseen. I mean, the mother has such a deep and profound trust that she'll continue to seed something even if there's not evidence of that outside of her in terms of material, material success or, you know, gauging how well it went, how successful that initiative was, she'll continue to feed the unseen, whether it's love, whether it's compassion, whether it's, you know, connection to the earthly realms. It's um, really something that requires a profound amount of trust 
to keep revisiting and mm -hmm. knowing that this is needed to keep in balance as humans. Yeah, I want to ask you about trust um, as a follow-up, but but first, you know, just to to put what you said into the the context also of this body of work that is this podcast, for example, right? Like we we um, have this as a theme come up many times. I don't think anybody's ever literally called it redefining motherhood, but you know, Albert Einstein has you know said this quote. Um, I'm going to butcher it, but something along the line that a, a, a problem is created on one level of consciousness, and the solution can't be met on the same level of consciousness. Like a solution to a problem has to occur on a different level or, or, or stage of, of perception and consciousness than the problem was, was built on, right? And so the world we've built, this masculine paradigm, this globalist paradigm, this is extractive colonial paradigm that was built on a certain way of being. And so as we know, we're transitioning into a new way of connecting as a, a global village, as bioregions, as a planet, you know, we're, we're, we will need to face the pollution we've created. Um, we will need to face all of these archaic systems we've created there that are currently, you know, starting to implode. It seems to me just quite, I wouldn't say logical, but consequential that coming from the mother energy first is the biggest part of the transition and the transformation. And that individually for each of us as participants and that for each and every community, or as you said, it's like communal garden or project or bioregion, because yeah, I mean, we are a global village, but we also are many, many different local um, connected places, right? We're, we're not separated individuals. We're that in, the, in that old paradigm. But as we're transitioning, that might be, you know, to bring Albert Einstein's quote back into the space, like the, the, the other level of consciousness here where the solution occurs is coming from that motherhood um, perspective. Even, as you said, even if you're in a male body, like it doesn't, doesn't mean we can't connect to this mothering touch and care and understanding and trust and um, reciprocity that our mother earth also holds us with actually, if we really listen uh, mm. a bit longer than just extracting from her. Mm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know, so I did wanna ask about trust and I wanna, you know, please make a personal example if you can, but my question is what is it what does it feel like for you to experience trust? Like what's required for you to experience trust? Mm, well, I had to be pulled um, a far ways from my center to understand what trust looks like and spoken to the contrast. And it's um, been a journey of me taking many detours away from love. And I'm really grateful for those looking back. And they turned out to be some of the most difficult times in my life as I sought to understand who I was and, you know, who I'm really here to be. Um, I find a big part of trust for me is really honoring the moment as it is. And this includes some of the things that you spoke to, rightfully so, but the colonized world, for example, that we've recently come into, very recently on the timeline of our, of our human existence um really honoring the dance that we've been in as a humanity up until now and letting the things go that are no longer for us in alignment with us with love 
I think that's a big part of, for me, trusting and being fully available for the next moment. Because as long as there's a cut off from what I once was or what once was here or who I used to associate with more intimately, I think there's a part of that that's always carried into the future. You know, there's never a true letting go because it's sort of let go with this tight hand as opposed to the open hand, you know, that depicts the trust, the love, the compassion that we seek to embody and imbue. So for me, the journey of trust has really come from being at, you know, the most bottom points in my darkest wells. And I say that because I think many of you probably listening to this can relate to those points in your, in your lifetime where you felt perhaps that nobody understood you and that you were of no value to the society and that you had made so many mistakes as per the normal human predictable trajectory that you had no place here on the planet anymore. And I know when I look back and I, I had ideations that I thought I'd never, you know, I'd never face, I recognize that those were also the catalyst into something well beyond any level of trust that I could have probably manufactured, you know, had I not fully surrendered and given way to something much more powerful than me myself. So trust for me has really been um, a, a rhythm of life in some ways, really being here with it all and accepting that whatever shows up in my immediate environment, I mean, there's things going on all around the world and it's not by coincidence that I'll happen to be in interaction with them at any given point. I mean, that's also a part of my journey that's supporting me. So what I recognize is that those interactions are happening as a result of millions of occurrences that happened prior to this moment now with a purpose that I don't necessarily need to dissect as I once did, you know, <laughs> but I can be with it and I can sit with that discomfort long enough if that's what it stimulates or triggers in me and really allow it to be present while holding a sense of reverence for myself. Okay, Ashley, this is what you value. This is what you stand for. And by something else in my periphery or in my, you know, in direct contact, not reflecting back that value does not in any way mean that I trust who I am any less. Yet part of that trust, you know, reality for me that interaction, that two-way dance for me has been to allow myself to be changed by that which is outside of me. Can I allow myself to be changed by life? And that's a question I ask myself again and again, like the moment I feel like I'm starting to grasp something, something's becoming known, it feels like it just dissolves, you know, it's gone. And then I'm pulled into the next iteration of self. So it's really interesting um, trusting that too. The not knowing for me has been a big journey to trust and literally having the pathway be built under my feet as I walk forward has probably been um, the greatest materialization of trust.
That's such a beautiful answer. Thank you for, um, you know, that those powerful words. There's a lot of wisdom in them. And it, for me, it actually points back to that redefine or redefinition of motherhood because in a way of being that is led by the motherly energy rather than the masculine rigid kind of making sense of everything energy we, we might not always know exactly what comes next we might have to actually surrender into the uncertainty in general as humans i'm all for dreaming up together what we want the future and the planet to feel like and to look like but i don't think having rigid plans will create the outcomes that we're dreaming of and so um that was that was part of the answer and, and, and trust or about trust there for me um i also want to offer something yeah. within that mm -hmm. yeah if you don't mind um Please as we're do. speaking about the masculine um really taking ownership as we spoke about of where i've contributed to this distorted view that we have on masculinity I mean, I was too wearing the high heels in the corporate environment and going, going, going and, you know, eating out of plastics in my car because I just had to get to the next meeting and flying, you know, across the country to get to the next appointment. I mean, I've, I've taken part in all those pieces as well as somebody in a female body. So for any of the, the listeners here and especially the men, what I hold for, for you is a great reverence for being able to um, engage in the sort of conversations where it may feel like something is being pointed or directed at you. What I hope to do through um, our focus on the motherly energies is also give way to the conversation around distorted masculinity and recognize that as whether it's male figures or those that are holding the masculine within themselves, you know, have a chance to express the repression of all those things that they weren't able to express, whether it was in their primary relationships with their caregivers or, you know, in the many decades that they've been walking through this current shared experience and reality. So I do find that there's a new masculine that's emerging in both men and women and everything in between that is something quite beautiful like it adds an element of clarity and it anchors us into knowing who we are where we belong how we belong and um you know what it looks like to take right action right consistent action in our world because the as much as i've been for many years you know really loyal to the visionary energies that I came into after my near death, I've also recognized that there's, there's a lot of engagement of the masculine energies needed in even our ecosystem and in our home life, even to get the kids to school and get the lunches packed on time and get them, you know, picked up on time. I mean, this creates some sense of order, some edges to the canvas that allows us to dance as freely as we do. And then when we meet those edges or boundaries, let's extend a little bit more. So acknowledging those human limitations, I find is part of the expansion. And um, I hope that we can, yeah, really collectively honor how difficult it's been for that archetype, you know, the masculine archetype to date.
Yeah, I love that extension. You know, I'm gonna make a, a personal example to that because I think, um, and, and I don't mean gender fluidity, but I think a fluidity in the balance of the masculine and feminine energy within us is very, very, um, you know, it's it's obviously a part of our evolutionary pathway when we say yes to, you know, embodying our potential and stepping into, you know, um, I just recorded this in another episode, what, what used to be called junk DNA, you know, when we're stepping forward into this latent DNA that wants to be activated by us interplaying with life differently. And my personal example here is, you know, as part of what I do uh, in, in this world, I host events every now and then. And when I create a framework and a transformational container for people, that masculine energy within me to be able to create clear, as you said, like boundaries of the playground of the playing field is very, very important. But I actually personally experience it. If I'm every day, the guy who needs to make sure that everyone is at 9am at the car and at 4pm <laughs> at the, actually, then I lose the joyfulness and the actual play of the playground myself. So yeah. I can hold that for an event. But even within the event, I want to, to be able to be more fluid with that role as well. So maybe I can be it in the mornings, but I don't have to be as rigid when it gets to dinner, right? When it comes to immersive experiences after a day or two, usually there's a group dynamic and the field informs uh, us of that by itself. So it's, it's usually quite playful. But I remember when I started out as an event manager, like, you know, in my very early 20s, this is like more than, more than 10 years ago, um, I only understood that role in this rigidity because it was expected from me in a corporate background. And so in that rigidity, that way of making sure the framework was being followed, that masculine energy, which is still a skill, but it actually felt heavy after a while. And it did lead to burnout because it was always just the same. You had to adhere to it and demand everyone else to adhere to it as well. And when you did, you reached the success of checking off all the boxes and everything was flowing the way it was supposed to, but it wasn't flowing in a playful way. And mm -hmm. so as we're transitioning into that you know, more integrated way of being, um, I'm experiencing this actually literally at events, just, just as, you, as you said it. Mm. Yeah, I can really honor and appreciate that. And it goes back to the question that you asked is what is the purpose? I mean, what is the purpose of this education system? What is this purpose of of life, of coming together, of being together, of exploring in the ways that we do. And for me, one of the things that's come really alive and online is um, the connection to my creativity. I mean, the, the process of birthing a child is one of the most deeply creative processes that we can come into. The waiting, the not knowing, the imagining, the envisioning, the holding, the patience, the discomfort. I mean, so many aspects of the creative process are alive in through that gestation period and beyond and i you know as i witness how we operate as an ecosystem at raising humanity how we operate in our home space how we operate in our communities that's something that's always front and center for me is is there enough room and space and allowance here for new creations to be birthed is there enough acceptance of, you know, when we talk about play, often we imagine play to be joyful and light and easy. And, you know, it's this is how we identify play to be often in, in the modern context. But 
there's so many moments in which play is full of tension. There's so many moments in which play, if you watch two children playing, they're asserting their boundaries. They want to be known. They're not sure of the context. There's tears. I mean, there's such a wide range of emotions that we need to hold totally. if we really want to come into creation through play. So I love what you're saying. And I think what it comes back to for me is, <laughs> is, is understanding whether there's room for something new to be birthed. And so often on the planet, we're just simply recreating. I mean, even a lot of the people in our field, you know, we take a modality or we take a template and we're basically just recreating, recreating, recreating. Um, and often that's very, you know, um, valuable. There's a lot of things that we've birthed into the world as humanity that's of tremendous value and that, you know, should be continued. That does require that continuity in order to be anchored in to our existence. And I think right now there's so much opportunity for the new to come together with the old and for this third pathway to be birthed, you know, the merging of, again, these seemingly opposite entities. Yeah, really well said. It's also kind of changed the way I use the word play and playful in community. I just realized it doesn't, you're totally right, it doesn't always include that, you know, full spectrum of what play actually looks like when kids immerse into play and testing boundaries and tears and, you know, um, I remember some of the, the, the play days I had as, a, as a, a boy growing up with my other boy boy dudes my friends <laughs> it was very playful always but sometimes it 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 was you know um not just frolicking let's put it this way mm. um actually <laughs> I, I would yeah <laughs> right like the roughhousing yeah. i mean that's needed the contact the intimacy i mean it's needed sometimes <laughs> Could you imagine, I mean, I look at my boys now and from nine to three, none of that primal mm. expression is really coming out. Like imagine holding your emotions for six, seven, eight hours of the day. Like for me as an adult now, who's quite connected to her emotional body, it's really difficult to imagine that I could hold that in. Sometimes I do need to move. Sometimes I do need to vocally express. Sometimes I do need to go and ask, you know, the great mother to hold me. And I wonder with these children who are sitting in these upright chairs with their feet on the ground and chair, you know, in inside four walls. I do wonder how much is built up over the course of, you know, for a lot of them, 20 years of education. I like how you're so politically um, diplomatic with the way that you you hold your wonder and your inquiry. I don't wonder anymore. I'm it's it's too much is my answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's too much because you know really like the and, and and not not to digress you know kind of towards the end of this episode but the education system as you know i think everyone listening is aware of was created for this production factor in an economic system and this economic system has brought lots of different forms of progress we could call it but lots of destruction and lots of um you know pollution and so um, there's no question that we will have to look at it with a um, yeah, much more future pointing perspective. And so 
Um, I feel like we, we, you know, we, we had some highlights on this episode about what that looks like and how to create a safety and what is important and why this is important and why the motherhood perspective is important. Um, and emotions and being fully expressed. Wouldn't that be nice, including for all the adults that go to work from nine to five every day is, is yeah, I, you know, I sometimes I wonder now I'm, I'm back at your question with the inquiry there how not more people turn totally crazy in this world because of how repressed the mainstream um, society actually is. You know, when, when you don't express your voice, when you don't express your emotional up and down as a normal part of your human being, um, I mean, it leads to depression and that is a, a good paying customer in the pharmaceutical world. So, um, Full circle to how that circle works. I would love to come back though to, to our main topic of this episode, Ashley, because I, I bet you and I could digress into that conversation quite a bit longer as well. But for the sake of time today, let's bring it back to raising humanity and the playground that you um, are creating and co-creating um, You know, with, with the, as we said earlier, the expanded village. How can we make an invitation for people that are listening to partake in that? Like what are ways to connect with um, raising humanity and the playground of life. Yeah, thank you. So there's sort of two sides of the proverbial coin at this point. You can come in as a member. So that's somebody who's seeking support. You're feeling like there's a gap in terms of your own support systems and you wish for either as a parent or a child to have more built-in support that's continuous, that's trauma-informed, that's also playful, that's inspirational, that's creative. If you wish for more of that support, the doors are open by donation. On the other side of the coin, we're really big proponents of this being a village that's built by a village. Can we build a community by first being a community? And I find that when we build in that capacity, our foundation is so much more solid, you know? So if you're feeling inclined to contribute, if you feel like your wells are filled up enough and you want to give back, you're inclined to give back, you're inclined to participate and be known within this sort of space on a new level. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved. So one is you can join as a mentor and our mentors come to us from all around the world and they're really inspirational leads for these children and for these parents. What does it look like to actually live an inspired life? And a lot of them do have a formal background in teaching education. Um, whether it's, you know, in an educational facility or whether it's in their corporate environments, they, most of them have been teachers in their own regards. And I find that they are effectively the future um, of teaching. They represent that because, again, from our lens, really it's a connection to self that fosters that safety and that sense of belonging with those around us. So if those sort of individuals are leading or holding these containers, we know that the natural wisdom will be birthed within that ecosystem organically, you know, and it doesn't need to have time pressures associated with it. What we know is that it will come about. So the mentors are one one pathway to get involved. You can also become an ambassador and the ambassadors act as a bridge between our internal ecosystem and our vi village vision and village and the outside world. So they're out there establishing partnerships. They're having conversations on channels like Clubhouse talking about what we're doing here. 
why is it that we need a village? Why is it that we're at a threshold and requiring a new way of reorganizing ourselves forward? You know, this is just a new iteration of humanity. We don't have to make any part of this wrong, but we can also learn from what we've moved through. So whatever insights, whatever experiences you've had are all valid in a space like this. And we really encourage you to bring that forward because I know my alone, I certainly can't dictate the trajectory of this, but I do know that when we really put our heads and our hearts together, that it represents, you know, it's a micro of the macro, really. We represent more of the whole as we come together in our differences. So ambassadors, um, that role is available. And then we also have the role of um, being a part of our board. So board members are typically those who have a little bit more of a strategic lens. They've either um, been in the corporate environment and understood sort of the inner workings as to how to manage and operate systems as a whole taken learnings from that, or they've been associated with non-for-profits like us before, and they have something to bring to the table in that capacity. But we have people coming in from an operations perspective, finance, programming, marketing, HR. So we're really welcoming your genius in this space. So those are primary avenues by which you can get involved at this point. And we're also now um, congregating as educators. I'm not an educator myself. I by no means claim to teach. I am simply here to help hold this container. Um, but it's been beautiful that the educators have been drawn to what we're doing here, because what we know is that the, the building of such a system or such a village requires the input of three primary parties from our lens. The educators who have typically built the education system, the parents and the children. So this is really a triage, you know, effect and um, and and um, pathway is if three, you know, these three core groups come together. Is it possible to create something that's cohesive, sustainable and even regenerative, as you often speak to um, for the whole? Yeah, fabulous. Uh, thanks for that overview. And I'm going to make sure to link this all out for people to find and, um, you know, we'll, we'll follow you on that journey and see how it is growing over the next weeks, months and years. And um, there's no question. And that's why I had you on today that that's exactly the kind of um, initiative to help uh, weave a new fabric of the village, as we said today, right? Um, um, really, really no question that that's what's needed in the world and is one of the puzzle pieces in the way I see it in how we come back together as people and how we, we, we simply make sure that we've got each other's back because this is the essential energy of the mother actually, right? Is like, we've, we've got each other's back. Planet Earth has our back too. If we just, you know, stop putting poison in, in the soil and the water, mm. <laughs> um, she, she'll, she'll bear fruit so fast. It's, it's, mm. it's no question, you know? Yeah, and um, she's such actually, a beautiful yeah. direct mirror in that way, right? I mean, you've yeah. spoken to it, but it's like we can understand our reverence for the mother in the human vessel by what the mother, you know, the greater mother is um, is reflecting back. So I encourage all of us just to just to mm -hmm. watch the moods <laughs> and um, the expressions of Mother Earth to understand where we are falling short in our responsibility of really holding 
the, the physical human mother with the reverence that she needs in order to birth this creative spirit into the world. And as a result, pass that along to her children. I hope. May it be so. Ashley, thank you so much for being on this episode, for sharing about your mission, about your purpose, the way you embody it. Um, you shared quite a few um, great highlights and nuggets of wisdom. I'm going to make sure to link out everything. Thank you for being on Green Planet, Blue Planet today. Um, it was a pleasure to have you. Mm, thank you for having me and thank you for your wonderful, wonderful play in the world. <laughs>